Hello to everybody in the middle of a major life transition. It's Beautiful Anonymous. One hour, one phone call. No names, no holds barred. I'd rather go one-on-one. I think it'll be more fun. And I'll get to know you and you'll get to know me. Hi everybody, Chris Gethard here. And I know some of you just want the phone calls. Some of you have been loving these long intros. If you're somebody who skips to the phone calls, you could give the long intros a try. People are telling me they really like the vibe and the personality of them. But hey, they're not for everybody. And if you don't have all the time in the world, you want to get right to the phone call, skip about 10 minutes in. You're good to go. Thanks so much for listening. Hi, everybody. Chris Gethard here. Welcome to another episode of Beautiful Anonymous. I feel so lucky to be here. So lucky to talk to all of you. And I tell you what, I've been doing some shows recently, getting out there, and I keep meeting beautiful anonymous listeners out there in the wild, and what a joyous thing. What an incredible thing all these years in. And it means the world to me. Please do. When you come out and see me places, see me at shows, please do say hello and let me know that you're a listener because it's an incredible motivator for a pretty nervous and quiet guy. Um, I do have some shows coming up to let you know about New Jersey. My New Jersey tour where I'm doing every county in New Jersey continues. November 11th, I'll be in Ocean Grove, which is a fascinating town down in Monmouth County. November 12th, I'll be at the Union Firehouse in Mount Holly, Burlington County. Uh, It's going to be great. We already announced uh, one show in Hillsboro, which sold out, which is wild because it's not like Hillsboro. No offense, Hillsboro. It's not known as a hub of nightlife. So thanks to everybody who sold out the Hillsborough show. Also want to let you know, if you're in Washington, D.C., on October 21st, I'm doing a really special show. My good friend Bethany Hall, uh, one of the old sidekicks from my old TV show, is one of the people organizing it. And it's called Good Laugh Presents Comedy Saves Democracy. And, yep, produced and directed by my friend Bethany, along with the great Katie Borum. And it's a very cool show with me and a bunch of other good comics. And they're asking us to sort of write some comedy or bend our comedy to have some social perspective. And I'm going to be talking about some experiences I've had that this show has directly impacted. So that's actually at the Kennedy Center. Not to brag, very prestigious place. So I'll be at the Kennedy Center October 21st if you want to come on by. It's going to be a good time and a really good show. Thanks to my friend Bethany, not just for having me, but for trying to keep organizing and doing cool stuff in the world. So for any of the old Gethard Show fans that still listen, I know there was never a huge crossover in the fan bases. What a cool thing. Bethany's out there doing the best stuff. Okay, let's focus up. Last week's episode, a lot of people really responded. A lot of people want to know uh, what the caller's band is named. A lot of people want to support the band. And a lot of people were really taken aback by the callers taking care of his mom and and the reaction to it in his life and how things kind of rolled downhill and his view on his 20s. There were some really, really, really great responses over there in Beautiful Anonymous, the Facebook community. Jennifer put, this caller seems to think that because he did not have the same experience as most in their 20s that he's lacking in some way, that he now needs to do some catch-up. I think his experience has given him so much more. He seems so wise in the ways of what's really important in life. I think that's such a good thought. And a lot of people seem to be affected by the phrase, 
I have so many regrets, but not enough for it to matter. That seemed to really jump out at people. So caller, if you're listening from last week, know that your mom threw down some wisdom in her final days that's affecting a lot of people right now. And happy to see that a lot of I was a lot of people did really fall in love with this caller. So caller, if you're out there, not only did I hear a lot of feedback in the Facebook group about people who wanted to know about your band, but I will say this. I recently, uh, last weekend, performed in Philadelphia at the Don Giovanni Records 20th Anniversary Expo at the Unitarian Church. It was a great show. Shell Shag was on the bill. I, I appeared with Shell Shag, and that, that night, Friday night, was headlined by Screaming Females, who, if you don't know them, are just one of the best bands of recent years. If you have not Singing Screaming Females Live, you're missing out on a truly great experience. I know anybody who knows about them says this up and down, but Marissa of Screaming Females is one of the best rock and roll guitar players of all time. And Screaming Females is out there playing currently. And Jarrett on the drums is no joke. King Mike on the bass, no joke. And I saw King Mike at the show and he was like, I want to know what the caller's band is. So caller, if you're out there and you want to let me know, some some Jersey punk rock royalty and King Mike himself wants to know, so I want to pass on the info. And also, Screaming Females are a band that's very intimidating on stage and all lovely people who like to laugh off stage, and it makes me very happy. I want to say that there's a lot of stress in the world right now. It's always hard for me to sort out because I've made my whole career about trying to find empathy, trying to find compassion. That also means that when pain gets churned up, you see it, you feel it, you wonder how people are doing. So I want to say this has been a crazy week in the world. And while I haven't totally sorted out, I'm not, I don't feel like when I, when I see entertainers who don't necessarily have a personal connection to world events flocking to social media to get it out there, sometimes I think it's very useful and sometimes I think it's healthy and cathartic. Oftentimes I do think that it's somewhat self-serving and I don't want to be one of those people and I haven't fully sorted out my thoughts, but I will just say this. There are people dying in Israel. There are people dying in Palestine and I think if you're a compassionate human being, you can say that all of that is awful, that the imagery of people flying into a music festival on hang gliders with guns is terrifying and awful, and images of people in collapsed buildings holding holding corpses is awful, and just to see pain in the world like this right now, we I always say it on the show, and I think a lot of the people who have listened forever would agree with me. You have to read about it. You have to look at those images. You, ha you have to understand what's going on, and you can't fall into people who are trying to bait histrionics for their own means or churn up clicks or make money off the situation or get you on their side with disinformation. You got to look at it. You got to understand it. You got to feel the pain of it. I, I think that's part of being the citizen of the world, and you got to find that compassion. So I know there's so many people, especially on the East Coast of America. I mean, I live in an area where there are people directly affected who have family members on both sides, and they are people who are my neighbors. 
and that pain and feeling is awful and it's going to affect the world for years to come. And that's one of the things that the call you're about to hear is about in a, in a very strange way, in a very strange way it does tie in because, um, this one, I don't even know how to explain this one succinctly except to tell you that it's largely about someone in the midst of a major life transition and the transition is away from belly dancing, which is a sentence I did not think I would ever say. I never saw that one coming. But I guess when you have hundreds and hundreds of conversations, yeah, eventually you're going to talk with a belly dancer. Why would you not? Why would you not? Of course. Life is like a lottery, and at some point it's going to come up belly dancer, and, and that day has finally come. That day has finally come. And I'm being a little bit facetious right now, but what I will tell you is this. I didn't anticipate this one going where it's going. And I'm a little surprised, but not outright shocked to hear how world events affect the belly dance community. It's a very interesting thing to think about. Uh, I don't want to give too many spoilers, but I will say our caller does a pretty incredible job of talking about how a few years back, everything that happened surrounding George Floyd and the resulting social change and upheaval had a direct impact on the caller's experience in the world of belly dancing. We don't think about this, that these major life moments happen, cultural moments, and they have cultural impact. And then that impact sends out waves and those waves wash up on many shores. And this one, we get to hear about George Floyd, which we all know had a massive cultural impact. That wave eventually did wash up on the shore of the American belly dancing community. What a mind blowing and cool thing to think about this caller. I thank you so much for sharing, breaking it down for me. I send love to everybody out there, especially people who are stressed and worried about their families right now. Awful times, awful times. Um, take care of each other. Take care of yourself. Please enjoy the call. Thank you for calling Beautiful Anonymous. A beeping noise will indicate when you are on the show with the host. Hello? Oh, hello. Hi, how's it going? I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm really good. Beautiful day today. Feeling really good. It really it really is. I'm uh I'm a little bit south of you, but it's like we've had some awesome weather. Yeah. It's pretty crazy that we're in October and it's this warm. Some might say there's something sinister about it, but I'm going to try to just turn <laughs> off the red alerts in my brain and enjoy it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you're another East Coaster, it sounds like. I am. I'm East Coaster. And I was talking to Andrea. We kind of like have been through it a little bit, um, trying to get through this call. I have um, some pet sitters coming to like check in with, our house and do a little meet and greet. So I may need to put you on hold for like five minutes while yeah, I no show worries. someone where litter boxes are and stuff. If there's any reason to have five minutes of dead air on a podcast, it's so that your guests can show the pet sitters. Where they're <laughs> the show is I real mean, life. You could have like, you could have an audio tour of our, our litter boxes too, if you want to guess, but probably. I think the audio tour is probably more compelling audio. audio. I think it's, I mean, better than silence. <laughs> 
So um, one thing I thought that we could start with, if you're up for it, is some, like, random New Jersey chat. Oh, yeah. Oh, so are you in Jersey? Uh, no, no. I, I'm, I'm south of you, but I have some fun, interesting stories from Jersey in the 90s. Okay. So um, have you spent any time in Wildwood? Yeah, I've spent time in Wildwood. Who do you think you're talking to right now? <laughs> well, I just don't know because I was like, I think we're about the same age. And so as a teenager, my brother played competitive marbles. Really? Yeah. <laughs> like was into it enough to travel around? Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's why we were in New Jersey was for the National Marbles Tournament. So you came to Wildwood, New Jersey in the 90s so your brother could compete in a marbles tournament? That's right. How'd he do? I mean, he did okay. Um, but he never, he never won the tournament. And I think that was super devastating to him because um, like he actually, he was like, really super amazing at it. Uh, it takes a lot of skill. I don't know if you ever happened to be in New Jersey in Wildwood for a marbles tournament. Not for a marbles tournament. Like, no. <laughs> it is the, the best of the best that are there. Well, it's gotta be tough to be, uh, I mean, if you're going to be that good at marbles that you go to this tournament, you must be pretty obsessive about it. And to get there and then yeah. realize you go from being what I'm sure is one of the only kids who's interested in this and good at it to all of a sudden now you're up against the best of the best and you're not number one, that must have messed with your uh, your brother's head. Yeah, yeah, it really did. I mean, I think we also had, like, a lot of pressure from our parents to excel at anything. And so that was... I mean, it was a really big deal to him. Yeah. Wildwood's pretty beautiful, though. Wildwood is one of the um, seaside and Wildwood are kind of known as the party parts of the Jersey Shore. That's where you go if you want to have, like, drunken debauchery. Right? I would, I would say those are the two. <laughs> I mean, so, I mean, if you can think, like, marbles and, like, family, like, I was way too young to be aware of any kind of party scene what is it like what is it like these days what is wildwood like these i don't know the last time i went to wildwood it's been a number of years but it's always been um well the jersey shore is complicated because a lot of people listening have probably seen the the show jersey shore so they think it's just all like partying guidos getting in fights on the on the boardwalk Uh, And most of the Jersey Shore is not that. Most of the Jersey Shore is really lovely, and some of it's just beaches, and then some of it also has, like, boardwalks with games for kids, and there's a lot of great food. But Seaside and Wildwood are kind of known as the two places where that is pretty real. Like, if you want to party with Guidos, Mm -hmm. I would say that those are the places (laughs) you'd want to go. I'm I'm double-checking with Andrea to make sure that we're in agreement on that. Andrea's another fellow Jersey aficionado. But I think that it's it's kind of like if you're from North Jersey, you probably party in Seaside, and if you're from South Jersey, you party in Wildwood. I would say is the got it is the got it. Yeah, there's the breakdown for you. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, while he was playing marbles, I would be, like, doing the boardwalk thing. Yeah. So I was, yeah, I'm three years older than him. And so, like, when you are 14, I think that's the oldest you can be to play competitive marbles at the national tournament, at least. I bet. And so uh, I was there basically from maybe I was, like... 13 or so to maybe 17. So, you know, when you're, I feel like when at that age of being like 13, 14, you don't, I didn't at least have very much autonomy. And so being able to like do the carnival games and rides and just like cruise the boardwalk, that felt like, that felt like real freedom. I love it. I love that you uh, came and got to hang out in Jersey a little bit. Um, how did yeah. you, how did your parents feel about having a son who got so good at marbles that they had to travel for marble tournaments? <laughs> I mean, I think they were, they were pretty supportive of it. There's like, there's actually like a few different kinds of marble games. So the one that is in New Jersey is called ringer. And then there's also one that's played in Tennessee. That's called Rolly hole where instead of like, kind of kneeling on the ground and shooting marbles around you shoot it from up in the air and aim it towards the hole kind of like i guess it's like marbles but if it was cornhole kind of Mm, got it yeah and so he also went to tennessee to do that and he also went to england to play um at some pubs and of course like (laughs) is this like this team of teenagers and kids like absolutely like destroying old guys at an English pub, which is like, you know, a pub game. It's like as if you were going to do like darts or something and some kids just like tore you up. Yeah. Cause as, as the father of a four-year-old, my kid's not interested in sports at all. Like we can't get him to sign up for soccer. I took him to basketball classes and he really hated them. Like really let me know mm-hmm. how much he hated them. And I know my luck, which is I'll get a kid who's obsessive about Rolly Hall marbles and I'll have to go. There you go. I'll have to go to Tennessee so my son can participate in Rolly Hall. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, if you get him into Ringer, then you can just go to Wildwood. You don't have to go far. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I really hope and this so is all c- you called to talk about, that for an hour you want to talk about how you once <laughs> attended, in your teenage years, attended a marbles tournament in New Jersey. I mean, why not? Um, And concurrent with the Marbles tournament, the same week was the polka spree Mm -hmm. at the Wildwood Convention Center. Well, yeah, that's good to double up. So we went. You did. You attended both. Of course. I did. I mean, I had to find out, like, what is the deal with the polka spree? Um, And so we went. I think I, I went with my mom. I don't know that we could convince anyone else to go. Um, and it was basically, I think, what you would expect. It was a lot of oompa bands and a lot of, like, 70s and 80-year-olds, like, flying around the dance floor. I love it. You had a hell of a weekend back then. Hell of a <laughs> right? weekend back then. Marbles and polka dancing. Yeah. And the other reason that I went to New Jersey um, was for a ukulele fest. 
So did your family yeah. only do like pixie-ish things growing up? Was your family one of these families so. that only participated in like cute fringe marbles and ukulele and polka? This is this is your. <laughs> I mean, we weren't really into polka. We just like we just investigated. It was incidental polka, but it's... we but we now have opted into both ukulele and marbles, which is is it just yeah. a family of Zoe Deschanel's doing cute things? I think so. I mean, I think. I think the thread is that we're just curious about things and that um, it's just like there's just some pull to not be normal, I guess. I'm still trying to figure that one out. I was going to ask, do you feel like that was a childhood thing or has that extended into adulthood as well? Oh, no, this was definitely extended into adulthood. How so? I mean... I feel like any effort to just like act normally, it just is not, it just does not work. I just cannot quite catch the vibe and do what other people are doing. It's just not the right fit. Um, so up until, I mean, you already know about (laughs) the ukulele playing and traveling to see marbles. I didn't play marbles. I was just, I was just a spectator. Um, but, I mean, I've always been into art, and I feel like I really resisted having a normal job. I did all of the things, you know, I studied really hard, I went to college, but I just really couldn't see myself having a normal job. And I don't think I have. Um, I uh, wanted to get into maybe doing some kind of museum work, but I couldn't really get my foot in the door anywhere. And I worked as a temp for a long time while doing a side hustle of art. And then I got into um, yoga and belly dance. And that is how I made my career until pandemic times. As a yoga and belly dance instructor? Yep. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. It was, I mean, it was, it was pretty good. I feel like I did really well at it and I just could not make the transition to everything going online um, as yeah. a result of COVID. And things are starting to come back now. You haven't gotten back into it? I haven't, no. I think part of it is that I also realized when everything stopped, just how burnt out I had gotten after running my own business for, you know, basically a decade. Can I ask some specific questions about belly dance? Yeah, please do. Because I understand yoga as a workout and as a lifestyle that a lot of people get a lot of good out of. I'm a little less clear as to what belly dance is for and who signs up for it? What type of people? Oh, that's a really interesting question. I mean, I feel like the the origin of belly dance is in uh, Middle Eastern culture. So from Egypt, Turkey, Greece, Northern, uh, Northern Africa, um, you'll see 
folk dances from that area that all kind of falls under the umbrella of what Americans call belly dance. Um, I participate in a couple different styles, an Egyptian style of dance, as well as an American fusion style of dance. And I would say in the U.S., the people who sign up for it are typically um, women who are looking for a social hobby. Mm-hmm. 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 And is it a good workout? No. <laughs> no. I feel like, I mean, I feel like people will want you to say yes to that question. Um, I mean, it is like a cardiovascular exercise. Um, it does, depending on how you practice it, require some flexibility and strength and mind-body connection. Um, but it is not like doing a workout. It's more of an expression, expressive movement than a physical movement, you know? I mean, it is a physical movement, but it's not something that is super inherently, like, tricksy or calisthenic or demands some special thing. It's for anybody that wants to do it. Okay. Do you ever get guys like me wandering into classes? Have you ever had a 43-year-old man wander in to see if belly dancing is for him? Or is it just understood scram buddy? I would say that the typical clientele is women, but men do dance. And especially if you were to go to uh, the Middle East, you would see men and women dancing. It's for everyone. Now, I don't want to make any assumptions about your background, but based on the fact that you have attended marble tournaments and dropped it on a polka <laughs> dance, it does sound like you're probably Caucasian. That's right. I am white. Yeah. Now, how do we, how do we feel? Because when you say belly dance, I do think in this country, what what comes to mind is almost like um, the cliche is almost like imagery of almost like Aladdin-type outfits, maybe a veil over the face. But these are cliches. But point being, there's a lot of cultural appropriation, and I wonder I wonder how, how we think of that when we're teaching it. This is a huge question, and it's among the reasons why I'm not teaching anymore. Um, in the in light of the George Floyd murder, there has been a re-examination of Orientalism and cultural appropriation in belly dance in yoga as well. Um, And I think, boy, I don't even, (laughs) I don't even know where to start with that because it is a huge concern. And I feel like, there is uh, a way to perform and teach and participate in dance and yoga or anything from another culture. Um, But the things that you're saying that it's like, oh, I have a perception of this kind of outfit and a veil and it's, you know, all of these cliches or stereotypes are a symptom of that 
cultural appropriation and orientalism that has happened over the years. And it is an enormous task that is really, um, it's really broken the dance community recently. There's been some really good conversations and some good progress that folks are making in that department, but it is really not enough. It's, it's, as you say all these things, things are clicking into place in my mind. Like some thoughts that I have that are coming into my head are that because it's, as you say, yoga is dealing with it too. I go, oh, that makes sense because yoga is something that I think a lot of us um, know has roots in Indian culture, right? Unless I'm being ignorant on yeah. that, but that's mostly what we all think. But I do think yoga has separated itself from the Orientalism that you've mentioned. Like when I think yoga, I think, you know, uh, people in workout gear. I think like guys in basketball shorts and women in <laughs> sports bras and and tight yoga pants now, right? Like that's the image. Whereas with oh. belly with with belly dance, the image I still have in my head immediately goes to like, oh, someone's going to be burning incense and playing little like hand tambourines. Which again, as <laughs> as I say it, I'm not trying to make a joke. I'm just saying. There is very yeah. much all these cultural cliches that pop into one's head. And I'm saying that's a good thing. But I do see how yoga studios have maybe separated themselves from it a little bit. Although also fascinating to hear that there's reckoning in that world as well. Well, yeah. And I mean, I think the fact that you're like, oh, well, when I think of yoga, I think of women in sports bras and leggings and men in basketball shorts going to a fitness class like that to me also points to the cultural appropriation that has basically erased all of the history and culture out of a yoga practice right. and whitewashed it as a fitness thing right it's it, that's a wild world to be and now you can hear i'm starting to get excited because i go which which <laughs> is healthier like which is healthier societally that that yoga has been americanized to the degree that i see you know, I think of like a, if I'm being honest, I think yoga and I'm like, oh, the stereotypical Brooklyn mom running late with the yoga, yoga right. mat over her <laughs> shoulder. And we can all see the exact outfit. What's better to have it be completely removed from its history in a way that is unhealthy or belly dance. The other thing you participated in where it still feels like it immediately conjures up all these images where you go, oh, well, those are stereotypes, and they pop into my head at the mere mention of belly dance. I go, I'm sitting here wondering which is worse, to have it totally Americanized or to have it still sort of caricature-ish? Yeah, I should say they're both pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's also, and I say this not facetiously at all, because everything that happened surrounding George Floyd affected all, all of us personally, if we had our eyes open in ways mm -hmm, that were mm -hmm. tragic and heartbreaking and also in some ways very beautiful and, and that fostered hope. But at the same time, it's also so strange to think about, you know, you specifically point to it as this moment of reckoning that started all these conversations in your community. And I sit here and you go, you don't even think about that, that there's so many different ways that when you, when you drop something of impact into a pond, those ripples hit the shore in different ways. And unless you're in the belly dance community, 
I bet there aren't too many people going, oh, well, when George Floyd happened, it turned the belly dance world upside down. The world of American belly dance was never the same. It's just something I never would have even thought about unless you just told (laughs) me on the phone. Let's pause right there. Sometimes I just love this show so much. I really do. Because you don't think about that. That the world of belly dancing has its own internal struggles and dramas and shifting tides. And as the world changes, so does the world of belly dancing. I love that. Okay, we've got some ads. We'll be right back. Cold turkey. It's great on sandwiches, right? I remember back when I ate meat. A little turkey, a little cheese, a little mayo. There's nothing better than cold turkey in that sense. But cold turkey as a way to break your bad habits. It can be rough. It can put a lot of pressure on you, okay? There's other better ways to break your habits. And I'm, I'm not talking about mind voodoo from the neighbor down the block or, or some ice plunges or any of these extreme things, okay? I'm talking about our new sponsor, Fume. They look at problems in a different way. Not everything about a bad habit is wrong. So instead of a drastic, uncomfortable change, why not just remove the bad from your habit. Fume is an innovative, award-winning flavored air device that does just that. Instead of vapor, Fume uses flavored air. Instead of electronics, it's completely natural. And instead of harmful chemicals, Fume uses delicious flavors. So you can see, if you've got a bad habit uh, of the ilk we're speaking about here, this gives you a lot of the habits and takes away a lot of the bad, right? Fume flips it to stuff that's good. It's a habit you're free to enjoy and makes replacing your bad habit much easier. Your fume comes with an adjustable airflow dial. It's designed with movable parts and magnets for fidgeting. So that gives your fingers something to do, right? Which is a big piece of things. Helps you de-stress. Helps get that anxiety away while you're trying to break that habit. I have friends who have used fume who tell me that it is a great transition out of being dependent on other things and that it tastes great and that it feels like what they're used to, and how they feel good about transitioning out of their bad habits with Fume. Stopping is something we all put off because it's hard, but switching to Fume is easy, enjoyable, and even fun. Fume has served over 150,000 customers and has thousands of success stories. There's no reason you can't be one of them. Join Fume in accelerating humanity's breakup from destructive habits by picking up the Journey Pack today. Head to tryfume.com. Use the code BEAUTIFUL. You'll save 10% off when you get the journey pack. That's T-R-Y-F-U-M dot com. Use code BEAUTIFUL. Save an additional 10% off your order today. Thanks to the sponsors who help us bring this show to the world. Now let's get back to the phone call. There's so many different ways that when you when you drop something of impact into a pond, those ripples hit the shore in different ways. And Unless you're in the belly dance community, I bet there aren't too many people going, oh, well, when George Floyd happened, it turned the belly dance world upside down. The world of American belly dance was never the same. It's just something I never would have even thought about unless you just told (laughs) me on the phone. Yeah. And I mean, it's not just the cultural appropriation part. It's also the racism against black American dancers in the community. So it is, you know. 
It's uh, multi, multi-leveled for sure. Explain that. Explain that to me a little bit. So, I mean, I would say that within the performance world and with in the I would say in performance world, what I'm talking about for belly dance is mostly like restaurant performances where you might go to dinner and there would be a dancer there as entertainment or dancers would be hired for um, events like weddings or birthday parties. That's kind of like the kind of things that dancers do. There are theater performances, but most working dancers make their bread and butter from like the restaurants and weddings and stuff. Um, And there is a lot of racism within the performance world. And so restaurant owners or clients will be hiring white dancers over black dancers or in the teaching circuit at things like conventions or workshops or people traveling um, to teach, there is preference for white dancers over black dancers and also dancers from the Middle East or have Middle Eastern background are also being passed over for white dancers. Hmm. Who knew? Who and knew so, about the swirling drama? Yeah, the, I mean, in the world of belly dance. Yeah, it's 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 everywhere, right? I mean, the like the the poison of white supremacy it it affects everything. Yeah, it's as you said. It, I, it, there are worlds that I wouldn't be surprised if they are in some way connected. Um. But that idea of like hiring out an ethnic dance style for your wedding or dinner or event, I feel like there's also, it reminds me almost of like, you see these places where you drive past like a tiki bar and it's in the middle of nowhere, mainland America. And I'm like, oh, who's getting hired to do those Polynesian dances when there's not a large Polynesian community anywhere near here? Or are you just finding any random Polynesian person and going like, well, you twirl this stick with fire on it at our pig roast and, (laughs) and you sit here and I have to imagine a similar thing of, um, you know, when you have an ethnic dance that gets celebrated, but inherently co-opted, who's actually getting paid to do it? And are you getting paid to do something that's real or a cartoon? Who knew? Right. One of the right. many one of the many things I'm happy to learn about via this show. Yeah. And you said this was And I'm not saying that like oh. all all white dancers are bad or are doing something bad. Um because I do think there are ways to learn traditional dances and learn about the culture and enjoy that and for me I don't feel great taking money doing it anymore yeah i bet i wonder too i know in yoga i have a friend who for many years he dated someone who was like a champion at bikram yoga uh, i believe Mm -hmm. that that's hot yoga i think right if i'm remembering right that's right Uh uh-huh and bikram was still alive at least at this time i'm not an authority might still be and 
she would go compete and he would be there and she'd go to India and she was known as someone who was really great at it, but he personally was someone who was able to certify her, which does give it a link to its roots. In the world of belly dance, do people are there ever like white women in America who get super into it and then travel back to the Middle East? And if so, how does that go? Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, there are some dancers that, uh, some teachers that facilitate those trips. And there are also Egyptian dancers that travel here to the U.S. to teach. Um, the, I mean, Bikram is like a, an entire separate thing, uh, Certification is also in in both yoga and dance realms. They're they're similar but different, I would say. They're I don't know. Do you have another question about that? I feel like I'm not explaining very well. No, I'm uh, I'm happy to just I'm happy to just listen. Happy to just listen. I get it though, but I because I, I have to imagine there's teachers who. Might get really into it. And there's also that world where I bet there might be people who go, I'm going to travel to Egypt to learn this for real. And then they get to Egypt and realize like, oh, Egypt is a layered and interesting place full of multitudes that might not necessarily have time to teach a suburban woman from the United States how to dance right now. I could imagine people might have some moments like that along the way. I think so. And I think the other thing that has really surprised me in light of people finally like taking under consideration the problem of cultural appropriation, the thing that's really surprised me is like a complete disinterest from people about learning more about another culture. Like there are people that just want to come to class and socialize or move around a little bit and they just don't care about the people that that dance comes from or the food associated with that culture, the music associated with that culture, what is happening now. That, that's been really surprising to me. Mm-hmm. 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 So what are you doing these days? You've moved on. You felt like this was a world, it's a <laughs> well, world with its own tension. Yeah, I mean, it's I, time to move on. What are you doing now? I have, I mean, I guess I basically just stopped. I tried running my classes online for a little while, basically to keep my students engaged, but I really didn't like teaching online. I don't really like attending classes online as a student either. I've been just kind of trying to be a chill person who enjoys things. I'm really trying to learn how to just kind of be a person again after running myself into the ground. So I was spending a little bit more time drawing and painting. My spouse and I are trying to move um, from this townhouse where we've been for almost 20 years into a little more quiet area. So like moving is kind of the current project. I have to say that based on you starting out talking about marbles and polka and then segueing <laughs> into yoga and belly dance, I'm not shocked that when I ask you, so what are you doing these days? 
your answer was trying to be a chill person who enjoys things. <laughs> that seems on brand. Yeah. Yeah. A chill person who enjoys things. That's a pretty good thing to aspire to. I think it's a good goal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I started going to therapy and my therapist does appointments like, um, we do walks in a park instead of meeting in an office. That's where you and your therapist just get together and chill in a park. That's right. We walk. We don't just, we don't just sit. We walk. I love it. Yeah. I love it. I love that. I do. I walk during therapy as well, but mine's all on the phone because my therapist lives in Mexico. Oh, that's right. You're virtual. Have you ever done like a, have you ever walked outside or are you just pacing in your house? No, I, I like to do outside walks uh, as long as the weather's mm -hmm. nice. I like to do a nice yeah. outside it walk. It makes a difference, doesn't it? But I've never, I can't, it's funny because I've done in-person therapy a lot. I've done walk around while doing a virtual therapy appointment a lot. But the idea of meet up in a park for an in-person session where that we then walk around, I have to say sounds quietly fucking intense to me. <laughs> um, it was like the only way that I felt like I could do it, honestly. Yeah. Um, and it's really nice. We also, I mean, we sometimes do some kind of weird mindfulness exercises using like nature's metaphors for things. Um, mm. But it's actually really nice to walk outside. I've always enjoyed being outside and walking. So um, it works for me. I love that. Sounds intense though. Walking around a park with my, <sighs> with my shrink, I'd be, it feels like movie moments I mean, every time. Is there, is there a way for it to not be intense? Mm, I guess that's a good point. I guess that's a really <laughs> good point. I can, I, I see that point. Now you mentioned you have a spouse. Yeah. I, I want to ask what your spouse does or how much you're, you're willing to talk about that because when you're dealing with someone who's into things like marbles and ukuleles and yoga and belly dancing, <laughs> I feel like your spouse is either going to be someone who's like, oh yeah, he um, removes clay from the earth with his hands and sells it to artisans, <laughs> or it's going to be like finance, finance. I also said he, I'm making an assumption there. They are either going to say clay from the earth or finance. It's got to be one or the other, right? You're cl you're close. He's a software engineer. Yeah, there you go. Order. Yeah. You are the chaos. He is the order. This is the rule of the relationship. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, he's he's really grounded. It's good. He, you are someone who's like, I'm just trying to be a chill person who enjoys stuff. <laughs> And he's like, no, you put things in the right order, you double check them, and then when you push a button, they run correctly, and it feels good. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Wow. Yeah, he is—he is the chill person who enjoys things, and I am—I'm trying to get there. And is he—is your? Does your relationship reflect that? Like, is he trying to get you to maybe have a little bit more structure in your life, and you're trying to get him to loosen up a little bit more? Um. No, I. 
I really don't need to get him to loosen up. He's a plenty, like, he is chill. Like, he does not need to loosen up. Chill software engineer. But he, I like it. He is a chill, yeah, he is a chill software engineer. And no, but he is definitely trying to get me to relax <laughs> and not feel bad about taking a break from, you know, the chaos of running a business that was just crazy hard work. Mm-hmm. I like it. You will not be surprised that we found like this insane house that we want to buy. And it would just require so much work. We've been agonizing it over it. Like ever since we saw it a month ago. Why is it insane? Okay. So it was like, um, it was like a rancher that was built in the sixties. And then in 2000 or so, 2000, 2002, they built like a tower on top of it. So it's like this low 1960s rancher with two stories built up in the middle of it. And it's got like a rooftop deck on the second floor and the third floor. Mm-hmm. Which seems great, except like um, I don't think that they really considered the weight of the deck on the roof. And so like the entire thing has to be rebuilt basically. So was any of it built to code? Like, did the town sign off on this, or did they just get <laughs> renegade? It, I mean, we were like, is this legit? Um, but it it does seem like it was built to code at the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it, the rancher part, like, they staged it so it looked like a guest room, but... You can tell that it was like uh, probably a carport and then like a wood shop. (laughs) And so the guest room is where the wood shop was. And it's like, it's basically like a cabin. So there's no insulation or anything. The whole thing would basically have to be redone. But we're still like, but maybe. How serious are we getting about it? You You might pull the trigger on this? We might. I don't know. What kind of house did you get? Did you get a house that was like move-in ready or did you have to work work on it? We had to put a decent amount of work into it. And unfortunately, so we, we where we got very lucky was that we bought our house in January of 2020. So before the whole right. real estate market started getting really unpredictable and impenetrable after COVID. Um, but where we didn't luck out was we had a bunch of stuff done to the house to fix it up before we moved in. And because of that, we wound up in a nightmare situation where, um, the night before our move was scheduled, our old building in Queens told us they weren't allowing movers into the house because of COVID. Uh And this was in March of 2020. So it was a weird situation where I was like, I both completely understand this. Um, and also please let me get my not even one year old son out of here, please. We were in the middle oh of my gosh. everything. So, yeah. So our short answer is, yeah, our house had some fixing up that needed to be done, but not, not, not like structural stuff, not like a maniac mm-hmm. built a guest room in what used to be a carport. And we've got to figure out exactly <laughs> right. how we want to handle that. Yeah. I think you should go buy the weirdo house. Because you're kind of a weirdo person, and I say that with love. (laughs) 
yeah, that's kind of the feedback I've been getting. Like, friends are like, you have to buy that house. It's so weird. Yeah. I'm like, yes, but it will take, like, every penny of our savings and perhaps more to make it, like, not a death trap. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you own your current house? We do, yeah. So you'd be buying it just to sort of upgrade and change of pace, but it's it also means you'd be leaving something stable to enter enter a home okay, of chaos. Yeah. yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a theme with you. Yeah, seems to be. Hmm. 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 I. What do I think? I don't know. That house sounds cool. That house does sound cool. Sounds like a place where people come over and be like, this house is rad. And you'd feel proud of it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's so much that's awesome about it. It overlooks the water. Um, It's got loads of light. Um, It does. It's definitely unique. Well, I feel out of my depth in terms of advising a major real estate purchase, but I personally hope that you go for it. (laughs) Well, thank you. I'll I'll take it under recommendation. I'm just going to pause right here and say no one should take real estate advice from me, unless, of course, you're trying to buy a record store in Toledo, Ohio, in which case, absolutely, Culture Clash Records. That one worked out. Otherwise... Don't take any real estate advice from me. We'll be right back. It's a really intense time of year. It's getting colder. The leaves are changing. Winter is on the way. I know for me, seasonal stuff is very real, can affect my anxiety, can affect my mood. And it's time to start thinking about taking care of yourself if you don't have that infrastructure in place already. And guess what? A lot of people are out there thinking it's on my to-do list to find a therapist, but it's hard. You don't know where to get started. Well, Talkspace can make it easy to find a therapist you like. Okay, they make it convenient. You can meet online. You can do it at home. Do it wherever you're most comfortable. Talkspace makes a big difference in a lot of people's lives. It's also accessible and affordable. I I know a lot of people think about therapists, psychiatrists, think it's going to break the bank. Talkspace helps okay they do everything online they make getting the help you want easy and accessible and affordable and i really want to encourage people i know that there's a lot of times where you sit here and you go yeah getting a therapist is on my to-do list but there's other things on my to-do list so that one can wait until i hit a breaking point or hit rock bottom no if it's on the to-do list now is the time don't wait okay therapy is a great thing it has saved me many times over Therapy helps you shift your perspective, helps you find tools to cope with difficult times, helps guide you in getting started. That's the most important part. Talkspace makes that easy. Talkspace, you can sign up online. You can get a personalized match with a provider that's right for you. That typically happens within 48 hours. Talkspace lets you send messages to your therapist, so you don't even have to wait for your next session. Talkspace can help with specific challenges you might be facing. There's licensed therapists in over 40 specialties, including anxiety, depression, substance abuse, relationship issues, and so much more. And as a listener of Beautiful Anonymous, 
You'll get $80 off your first month with Talkspace when you go to Talkspace.com slash beautiful. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com slash beautiful. You get $80 off your first month and you show your support for Beautiful Anonymous. That's Talkspace.com slash beautiful. Beautiful Anonymous is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Thanks once again to our advertisers, and now let's finish off the phone call. Well, I feel out of my depth in terms of advising a major real estate purchase, but I personally hope that you go for it. <laughs> well, thank you. I'll, I'll take it under recommendation. So, your spouse software engineers throughout the days you used to run your own business with yoga belly dance you got tired of the grind of of that t- style of self-run business you also felt like the weird the world you were in got a little weird and intense and that there was a lot of thought after historical events and cultural events that made you say is this the healthiest place to be hanging out so what do you do yeah. during the actual days like what are you doing during the actual days. I want to get a sense of what your actual day-to-day is like. So usually my spouse gets up and we have breakfast together and chat before he goes to work. Then I um, usually will do some kind of workout. I also like powerlifting. So I'll lift some weights, do some yoga. Um I like to draw and paint, so I'll do some drawing or painting. Um, I do the bulk of the housework of cleaning and cat care and packing up boxes, make dinner, and then we hang out in the evenings, and that's kind of a day. So you run the house, you power lift, and you paint. That's a pretty chill existence right there. It's not bad. How much can you lift? What's the number you're um, most proud of? I just got 200 pound squat recently, which is pretty good. Love that. I couldn't even dream of it. Oh, sure. I feel like that's achievable. I'm know. like a pretty, I'm a pretty casual power lifter. And I think 200 pounds, if you work for it, is. It's pretty accessible. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Maybe some. What if I got really into powerlifting? What if that was my midlife? Yeah. My next midlife crisis: powerlifting. After a it's lifetime of lifting no weight. Um, what's fun about yeah. powerlifting? Because I, I only ask because I've seen video footage of it, and it looks like people are in immense amounts of stress and pain. <laughs> it doesn't look fun. I mean- I mean, I think that's probably, maybe that's true if you're like at a competition, but I think just the day to day of training is pretty fun. Like you do follow some kind of strategy or progression of trying to get stronger 
And so, you know, you show up and you do your workout and then, you know, the next time you try a little more and go a little heavier and you're just getting stronger. And I think like the fun thing about powerlifting is if you're working to lift the heaviest weights, then you only have to do that like five times. And then you like rest for three minutes in between every time you try. So you can actually kind of sit down a lot if you want to. Now, I know a lot of this Uh depends on metabolism and diet and all sorts of factors that you can't speak to. That being said, in the broadest strokes, if I take up powerlifting, how long until I start to physically look more jacked? How long until people in my life are like, what's going on with you, man? Probably six months. Six months. See, that's a lot of investment. That's a lot. If you had said like six weeks, I might be willing to get locked into it, but it's going to take six months before <laughs> I mean, these gains maybe. start showing I up. I, I I couldn't tell you. I feel like veins pop in. Like, I think that is also like a body structure thing. And also probably low, low body fat. I feel like that would be a very funny turn in my life. If I just, because I, I think you can tell if you listen to the show, I'm going off the grid more than I ever have in my adult life. I'm slowing down a lot of living publicly. If I sort of go into the shadows after a life lived publicly and then reemerge and people are like, have you seen Geth? He's he's weirdly jacked now. Like he might be on steroids now. (laughs) That would be a pretty good thing in my mid-40s. I think so. And it's a great, honestly, it's a great time to start because once you're in your 30s, everyone starts losing muscle mass. You're, you're, body is like actively trying to degrade itself and if you add resistance you're like acting against that aging process you can actually get stronger rather than weaker as you get older i think that's so cool Mm -hmm. maybe this maybe this is what i need in my life abs maybe that's what i've been missing all these years is abs (laughs) and i think i i think that you'll find also that i mean i feel like Within gym culture, there is this, like, really macho kind of perception about things. But I feel like in the powerlifting realm, maybe it's this way in other kinds of athletic fields as well, but I wouldn't know. I really don't consider myself an athlete in spite of making my business in the fitness world for almost years. Like, I feel like powerlifting is actually pretty nerdy. Like, Really? Yeah, it's just like people just really nerdy about getting as strong as possible. I think uh, I wish I could. If anybody's out there in New Jersey and needs, <laughs> and is into powerlifting and wants to say like, "Hey, I can show you the," because it's an intimidating thing to try to figure out how to do. But if any of our listeners are like, "I'm Jersey based, I powerlift," I think you'd be into it. I'll show you some techniques. Let me know. I own a kettlebell, but mostly, if I'm being honest, I try to use it a few times a year. Mostly, it holds open a door (laughs) in our family room and sometimes is used as a weight to make sure one of my Halloween decorations does not blow away. And I feel bad (laughs) because I spent money on the thing. Yeah. Well, it's serving some kind of purpose. It's all right. Kettlebells is another. I could see you getting very into kettlebells. I'm not into kettlebells at all. Really? Barbell only. 
Really? Yeah. Yeah. It seems like a yoga adjacent thing of like a very very specific type of workout that I could see a yoga person being attracted to. It is. And I think a lot of yoga people are in the kettlebells. There was, oh, I don't know, maybe 10 years or so ago, like adding like small dumbbells into yoga exercises got really popular. And I'm like, this is, this is stupid. I'm sorry. You're all in on one or the other and you separate. (laughs) I think so. I'm like, if you want to do a strength workout, like do a strength workout, do not, do not mess up yoga with those little three pound dumbbells. It's silly. Now here's another question about the world you come from. I wish I had thought of this one a little earlier because it's something I've always been fascinated by. And we only have 12 minutes left, but you think of yoga belly dance type people, people in this wellness sphere as being almost like hippies, right? That's the cliche is that they lean hippie in that direction. Hippies, Mm -hmm. Birkenstock wearing, generally thought of as very progressive people. But there was also a weird aspect of that world where that world got at least portions of it sucked into the whole anti-vaxxer thing. And oh, it, yeah. Right? It became a known thing that some of the wellness people from your corner of the world almost kind of went in the QAnon direction because it went so far for some of them. I wonder if you saw any of that in your circles. I did. Yeah. So, so that was really real. And also, like, uh, anti-mask, anti-vaccine, uh insurrectionist is not good it is not good in there why did the yoga world get sucked into the whole like january 6th anti like what's the connection there how does one lead to the other because i think of yoga people as like you know you think of like honestly a hippie vibe sometimes like a pothead california vibe this is the cliche you don't expect that to be you saying like oh yeah no there i know stories of people who wound up insurrectionist level with yoga as the really entry. It's like if you were into essential oils, there was a chance you were also going to get sucked into that whole world. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how that happens, but yeah, it's terrifying. And I'm just like, when all that stuff goes down, I'm like, Oh no, this is not, (laughs) this is not the thing I want to be a part of at all. No, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I bet it, I bet if you're already feeling some hesitance, it makes it hard to reinvest in that world. If you're like, Oh, also the Facebook groups about this have turned into like wild fights about conspiracies. Yeah. I also left all of social media in June of 2020, I think June Uh, or December. It all kind of imploded by the same time. I'm like, this is just, none of this is for me anymore. I've like, dropped off the face of the planet. I mean, leaving social media mid 2020 is probably the best decision anybody could have made. (laughs) Yeah. Good on you for that. Good on you for that. Well, we've got less than 10 minutes left. I feel very lucky that I've gotten to know you a little bit. My jacked friend. (laughs) Well, thank you. What would you like to use this last nine minutes for? 
Well, I guess I was just wondering, as we were talking about, like, performance world stuff, I think maybe you're going through a similar thing since you were going from one sort of performance realm to being a little bit more family-focused. This is just a, a shift. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Just, just like a, just kind of a pivot. Um, I don't know if there's even a question in there. I just I think it, that's relatable to be like seeing that there was one part of your life that was really important. And then, I mean, for me, it was COVID times. Like, oh, this stuff is not as important. Yeah. As I thought it was, I want to be doing other things. I just want to be a person and not a performer. And mm -hmm. I, I would say teaching is like being a performer too, mm -hmm. in a way. They connect for sure. Um, yeah. So I don't know if there's a question there. Do you have a question or a thought about that? Oh, no. I just, uh, I do see the connection in there of what you're saying, um, these life shifts. And for me, I know some of it is comes from a different I guess it's like uh starting to feel like what's important in my life what's not my family is really really the most important thing and that's more true than ever but on top of it there's also some commonality of like first of all I will also say this part of me needing to slow down is that I'm also just getting older and more tired like Waking up at 5 a.m. to go catch a flight so I can sleep for two hours sitting up in an airplane seat officially fucks me up physically for a couple of days. Like mm -hmm. having mm -hmm. that bag on my back the whole time. I'm like, oh, I'm, I hate to say it, but like my knees hurt and my back hurts. And this part of it's just getting old and needing to take care of myself. But then there's also similar to what you were saying of like, you know, you start to see all these conversations where – it's, there's been so much drama with comedians and so much debate and so much people getting outed for, for, you know, sexual behavior, people, people making their whole shtick about their commentary on the trans community, all these videos now that are comedians being bullies to their own crowds. And I'm just like, Oh, this is uh I just don't like, how would I say it without being too dramatic of just like, Oh, this whole world has all these things whipping around it. And I just feel, I just feel like it's exhausting. I feel like these are exhausting conversations and mm -hmm. it's been nice to realize yeah. that like, Oh, I'm not sacrificing the core of my being to say, I think I'd like to just have my own take on these conversations and maybe even step away from some of these conversations. Cause that's ultimately just healthier for me and to, prioritize yeah. my health like that does feel really good health and happiness yeah i can really relate to that yeah yeah you feel like um side side tangent question i guess like i feel like both in dance and yoga world the people that rise to the top are like either like cutthroat and toxic or like the most generous welcoming inclusive people around do you find that in your world as well 
Uh, yeah, in the world of comedy, I would say there's a lot of really great people, but a lot of the people who are at the the top of the ladder who are like household names, some of them are very nice, but there are also some that are actual sociopaths. And it's concerning. Yeah. It's concerning, you know, to be like, oh, there's a, right? there's like a lack of humanity to this, where either this was always who you were and it's why you achieve that success or inherently success removes your humanity a little bit in a way that's really hard to watch. Either one, I've seen it up close enough where I'm like, eh, I don't, I don't want that. Those are cautionary tales. You have a lot of money, but you seem miserable. Yeah. You have a lot of attention yeah. and fame and social media interactions and you seem so tired and pissed. I don't need that. Yeah. 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 So there's some there's some uh there's some narcissist yoga celebrities out there, huh? Oh, you you have no idea. I think in the last 5 years or so, tons of yoga celebrities have been exposed for abuse. It's it's bad. Really? Yeah. What kind of abuse? And it's happened lots of sexual abuse. In the yoga, I got to say, again, the cliche is coming into mind because I think of yoga, and maybe this is wrong, as to me it feels like a lot of the people at the top of the food chain aren't male. So you would think there'd be less of that. Oh, but they are. They are. Oh, really? So you get these male yoga celebrities. Bikram, for example. Yeah. Bikram. Oh, um, he, he's had some accusations. Iyengar. Yes. I mean, Bikram was arrested and he basically fled the U.S. Oh, I had no idea when I brought him yeah. up before. When I'm like, my my buddy yeah. <laughs> used to date a girl who was a champion at Bikram and she's met him a bunch of times. I had no idea. No idea. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's a serial rapist, basically. Oh, geez. Yeah. Yeah. When you put it that bluntly, I'm like, yeah, that seems like a world you want to <laughs> remove yourself from. Yeah. It's not good. Andrea is also telling me that there's like a famous documentary about his specific case. And I whiffed on that one. My bad, everybody. <laughs> That's all right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I get, I get it. At a certain point, you're around, you hear enough of those stories, you go, I, does it does participating in this inherently validate it somehow? And even if not, does participating in this burn me out more than I'm realizing? Yeah, it was. It's. I think it's the burnout that got me the most because, I mean, I feel especially. Well, I feel really confident in both my dance and my yoga training, but especially my yoga training is is seriously legit. But it just was getting to be too much of an uphill battle to even get people to the baseline of, like, here's yoga. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. now we're going to start it mm -hmm. um, because of both, like, the, the toxic stuff that people in power have done and just the – change of it being so fitness oriented mm -hmm. versus a whole embodied practice. It's gotta be scary for people 
like you, you go to sign up for a yoga class or you you know you see your loved one sign up for yoga cuz they're like oh I want to I want to stretch more I want to get back in shape I want to I want to take care of myself mind and body and for 99% of the people that's what happens if they stick with it but then there's that 1% that goes oh and you got sucked into the influence of some cultish charismatic leader right. who, who abuses their position in yoga to drain yeah. people's bank accounts and um put them in physical positions where they're taken advantage of and unsafe oh that's yeah. bad that's that's yeah. it's sad how that's everywhere it's just everywhere yeah. these goddamn yogis these goddamn yogis i've been saying it for years <laughs> I mean, the best of them will make your entire life better. I I mean, I know you're just complaining about how you're old and hurting all the time. It does not have to be that way. Um, so I've heard. So I've you heard. Can, you, can feel, you can feel good in your body. and Yeah, I know. And it's my choices. It'll be all right. I'm in a phase where I'm, <laughs> I'm carrying more weight than I've ever carried. I feel awful about it. And I'm just like, well, then stop eating dessert every day eat more vegetables and less dairy it's on you dude do sit-ups and push-ups on a regular basis and i just change nothing and then things keep getting worse and i feel bad about it well that's how the call ended our time is up that's not a great way to end <laughs> sorry about that everybody that's okay it's not really hard to be a person it really is right if that's not if that's not one of the more truthful things ever said on this show, I don't know what is. Now, thank you for filling me in on your strange world and the many choices you've made within it. I understand we're going to say goodbye to everybody on the free feed, but I understand you're down to do a few more random questions as part of our bonus content. That's right. Awesome. So thank you for talking to anybody listening on the free feed. Much love to you. Thanks for supporting. And for the bonus content people, uh, there will be more. Caller, I have to thank you for sharing so much, for letting us know where you're at, letting us know where you're headed. Thank you so much for calling in. Thanks to everybody who listens. Thanks to everybody who tries to call. Keep trying. You'll get through someday. I promise I don't plan on stopping the show anytime soon. Thanks to our producer, Andrea Quinn. Thanks to Shell Shag, who I just saw playing Philly last weekend. Shell Shag is incredible. Go to chrisgeth.com if you want to know more about me, including some new dates that I've got out there on the books, talking about some stand-up. Go ahead, get out there. If you want to leave a voicemail and pitch your story, the voicemail line is 973-306-4676. That's 973-306-4676. You can follow me on Twitter at Chris Gethard. You can follow the show's Instagram at Beautiful Anonymous Pod. 